Amen. Good morning, Identity Church. You know, one of the things that I wanted to start uh, off by telling you guys this morning is that, you know, we shouldn't be, we talked about this a little bit just a minute ago during praise and worship, but our foundations don't need to be shaken when the world comes along and, and gives us statistics, they give us numbers. This week I was reading and it came across several, several different news feeds that, you know, Christians believe there's like 60% of the church, 18 to 35, that believe that there's other ways to get to God and get to heaven other than Jesus. And they cited Buddha and Hinduism. And see, I wrote a thing on Facebook because I wanted people to know that there is a distinct difference between what we get with Jesus and what other people get through these other religions. And the Lord wouldn't let me go. I kept thinking, okay, this is, you know, we just finished the love series. Am I going to really come in and start smacking people around about, you know, why should we be Christians? You know, the thing that, that the Lord keeps putting on my heart is the fact that the church needs to talk about the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is not being taught. What we have is we have this list of do's and don'ts. Do go to church. Do pay your tithes. Do, 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 do in this area. But on the other area, oh, well, don't smoke and chew and goes with those who do. I mean, and I got my lists. And you know what? If you go to some denominational churches or you go to somewhere else, they will give you their own list of these are the, one, the things that we believe and these are the things we don't believe. And you know, one of the things that I keep coming back to is the fact that none of that is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ was not, I, we had the law and I wanted to come give you more stuff. I came to give you more stuff to do. I mean, how great is that? I mean, what, you know, that every time dad, when I was a kid, would come out and say, hey, go cut the grass. And by the way, I want you to also clean up the flower beds. And oh yeah, by the way, I want you to pull the weeds. And oh yeah, by the way, do you know that that didn't bless me at all? <laughs> I mean, there was no blessing whatsoever when dad would go, hey, we're going to go and we're going to change the brakes. I mean, I was perfectly fine with just running without brakes. I mean, but my whole problem was every time you gave me a to-do list, what was I going to do? How do I get out of some of these to-do? That's what humans do. I mean, we're going to find out here pretty soon in my teaching, but I mean, Adam and Eve, you had one to-do list item. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How do I get out of that? Because, I mean, that's exactly what happened. God didn't come to give them to-do lists. But the moment you get a list and it's presented to you as a list, oh, man. See, that's what religion does. Religion is constantly trying to get you to appease God through some sacrifice, through some means. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you, 
That might rub somebody's cat backwards. Might be a little bit of fur that comes up on some people. Because, I mean, we got people that listen to our podcast. Hey, we saw some the other day from Russia. I don't know if that was a bot that was, like, taking my, my message. But I hope that even if it was a hacker over in, you know, Russia or whatever, they're listening. That'd be great. But what I want everybody to understand is that there is no, no list. There's no list. We're not trying to get God to bless us by a list. That's that's pretty much what Jesus tried to come and do away with. He fulfilled the lists. And we're going to see this a little bit more. What I wanted to do is I wanted to show you that there is a direct, complete, and total separation from what Jesus has for us and what every other religion in the world has. And I'm going to give you a couple of what the Bible talks about pagan religions because what we find out is that a lot of the things that was in the, that was in the law of Moses, that was in the law of the Levitical law, was to try to separate what pagans do from what God wanted the children of Israel to do. And we'll see that this is a religious spirit that just keeps, it keeps rearing its head over and over and over again. So in 2 Chronicles 28, 1 through 4, uh, Asa was uh, 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not know what was right in the sight of the Lord. And his father David, and what his father David had done, verse 2 says, For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images of Baal. Now, I want you to understand that this is like multiple generations away from David. Solomon became the next king after David. And then there ended up being like, you know, a king and there was a split and so on and so forth. And, and what happened was, is that Solomon actually brought pagan idealisms into Israel. He married all these women from all these places all over the world. God got on him. In fact, he even said it in some of the, in some of the Psalms that he wrote. Because he was trying to understand, I mean, the Proverbs is that he was trying to understand what does he need to do versus what he needed to do with God. Yes, you'll find that in uh, old idealisms about how you did diplomacy, people would you know, marry other people in their family to kingdoms in order to have that bond, right? Well, Solomon did the exact same thing, but he bound Israel to pagan idols. And as we can see, this just kept continuing because it said that here, uh, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. We actually saw this in the love series that Saul, the first king, he was actually trying to um, sacrifice to God in order to get him to bless him. And Samuel had to come to him and say, what are you doing? What are you doing, Saul? Those sacrifices were for forgiveness of sin, not to make God bless you. See, that's the problem with our flesh. 
Our flesh is all about who can I appease? What payment can I pay to you in order for you to like me? So when we do have a problem with God, when we've sinned or when we've had problems, a lot of times people are like, I'm just going to pray more. I'm going to do more. I'm going to, I'm going to react more. I'm going to pay more money to church or I'm going to do whatever it is. And see, that is appeasement of the flesh. That's not appeasement of the spirit. So it says here in verse three, it says, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places on hills and under every green tree. Incense, well, I mean, some people just burn incense just to get the smell. So, you know, hey, my daughter goes up there and burns a candle and the whole house smells like whatever she's burning. But see, the thing is, is that he was trying everything that he could. He was trying everything that he possibly could in order to appease Baal, the pagan god. He burned incense. Well, that didn't seem to work. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go all the way to the point of I'm gonna kill my own kids. See, that's what the appeasement of the flesh starts, starts trying to show is that oh, I need to do something more and more to appease the gods. Maybe they will bless me. And it says in Acts 7, because I wanted to bring in here what this kind of worship kind of looked like. Acts 7, 41 through 43, and they made calves in those days. So it was the, it was the, Baal was a, a, the head of a calf and it had horns and, and this big buckle in its nose. And it said, and they offered sacrifices to idols and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. In 42, it says, then God Turn and gave them up to worship the hosts of heaven as it is written in the book of prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during the 40 years of wilderness? O house of Israel, you took up the tabernacles of Molech and the star of Rephim. So Rephim is actually planet Saturn. They would see planet Saturn in the sky. They would burn... They would burn incense. They would burn, um, basically it was their time of worship is when they saw Saturn in the sky. And so these images that you made to worship and you carried them beyond. See, Molech just means king. And the name of, and you can find all of this if you want to go back and check me. This is all out of um, Strong's. But so these idols for the Amorites um, you know, they would take human victims, young children, um, and sacrifice them. Uh, basically, they had this, this big bull that had arms. They would light a fire inside of this thing. It was hollow, but it was made of metal. And this thing was, had its arms out to cradle like a baby. And they would put the baby in this thing's arms. 
and it would kill them. And the priest would run around and beat drums to keep the parents from being able to hear their kids screaming. It's because we need to be blessed. Things aren't going real good. We, we need to do more and more. I'm going to be honest with you. I look at the way our world is working right now. Every single time that somebody says, well, I don't feel good about something. Even though we live in the most peaceful place ever. Oh, let's go and destroy. There needs to be an idol that needs to be sacrificed. Well, right now, our biggest idol is greed. Our biggest idol is things. And so what happens is, is that we'll go and burn a, a whole city down and go take everybody's things. It's no different. I mean, yes, we're not killing people. There are some people that are dying because of it. But this is a continuous idealism. This is the spirit of this thing that keeps popping it and rearing its head up over thousands and thousands of years. So uh, Rapham, which is an Assyrian Babylonian god of the planet Saturn, uh, used to symbolize also uh, Israel's apostasy. So God, a lot of times, would, would show a prophet this symbol and say, they're going back out after Rapham. They're, they're heading back in that direction. And they would, the prophets would go back out and tell everybody, you're, you're going down, you're starting to worship Moloch and Baal and Rapham. Jeremiah used to, they called him the crying prophet. He used to put this stuff across his head. He used to do crazy stuff because the Lord would tell him and say, tell Israel these things. We're trying to keep you from dying. You know what? They opened themselves up more and more and more. And they finally got taken over by Babylon. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11, everybody wants to quote it. How many people love Jeremiah 29, 11? How many people love it? I, I mean, I love Jeremiah 29. It's a great verse. But do you know that the verse is actually telling them, hey, you're going to be taken over and you're going to be in Babylon. And as long as you worship me, then I'm going to bless you and give you an expected end. You're already pagans, but when you go into this place and you realize, oh my God, my family's dying and everything's going to heck in a handbasket, remember me and I will give you a plan and a future and an expected end. Wow, that makes you happy, right? I mean, I can apply those things back from God. That, there's nothing wrong with saying, yes, God has given me an expected end. That he's given me a plan and, and, and all this. But at the end of the day, what we have to realize is, is that that was God giving them a promise to get them out of the middle of their issue. That they didn't have to get in in the first place. They were the ones that went to Molech and went to Rapham and went to Baal. And see, that's what I'm afraid that we're doing in our own society is that we're teaching people that Rapham and Baal and Molech are just as good as Jesus. 
They're just as good as Jesus and they'll get you to the end. In fact, they'll bless you even more. See, sacrifice was to appease these pagan gods. And every single time there were, that sacrifice meant there was a personal connection. Sometimes it was painful. Sometimes you gave up your family members. And see, I want you to understand that even in our current religious states, because all these are gone, Moloch and Baal and all that, they're gone, but the spirit of them are still around. So just real quickly, I'm going to talk about some of the religions of the world, but there's the difference between sacrifice and philosophy. We live in this society where we have sacrifice or philosophy. And I would say that in a large part, the church has this mentality too. There's lots of sacrifice and philosophy that is going on. So I'm just going to bring you to Islam. So Islam was established in 610 AD by Muhammad. Muhammad basically went to, you know, went to Mecca. He wanted to become a, a powerful person in their, in their environment. He wrote the Quran, but the Quran and everything that he was supposed to be doing was just to make him a, it was, if you go read about him, it was just supposed to give him more of a, a power in Mecca. He didn't expect it to turn it into like the religion that it is out there today. In fact, he was a monotheist. He believed that there was one God and what he did was he went with their terminology, Allah, and he taught that Adam and Abraham and Moses and Jesus and all the other prophets were good. Now, he didn't, you know, he didn't like Israel. I mean, but he, you know, he went towards the Ishmael side, right? He, he took the fork and went to the, went to Beersheba where they, where Abraham dropped off Isaac. And that was the cradle of what God was trying to do. And so what we have to understand here is that this was established as a power play. But now what it has turned into is it's turned into a sacrifice machine. Everything is a sacrifice. You live your life as a Muslim Islamist in I got to do five prayers a day. I have to do these certain type of rituals. I have to sacrifice when there's a kid. When I have a child, then I have to sacrifice in order to bless that child. We're doing one better. Right now, Afghanistan falls. What happens? Women are being murdered in the streets because they didn't meet the standard. Oh, you had freedom and you decided not to be chastened. You decided to act like the men do. What are we going to do? We're going to kill you in the street. That's sacrifice. We live in the middle of Molech and Baal, and Raphim. They have a half moon that sits there with a little star for places like in Turkey and all that. That's symbolizing that Molech and Raphim, they're all there. We 
We live in a time where this is not dead. Sacrifice is being done every single day in the streets. A woman turns around. If somebody goes and rapes a woman in any of the Islamic countries, they take her out in front of everybody and they kill her. And then what they do is they take the guy and they basically slap him on the hand. We're not sacrificing children. I mean, they're killing children right now over in Afghanistan. Well, abortion is... And I will, I will, absolutely, abortion is that. Um, It's going to get into a part of something I'm about to talk about, which is philosophy. And see, philosophy and sacrifice can also touch here. But what I wanted to show you guys is that, you know, they hope that Allah will save them. You go talk to any person who is, that worships Allah and they say, I hope I go to heaven. There's only a few guarantees. Do you know what the one major guarantee is? Strap a bomb to myself and go blow up some, some infidels. That is the only guarantee that their, peop, that their imams are telling them. And by the way, it is not a part of what was originally taught. It wasn't. Now, I'm not defending, you know, I'm not defending what Muhammad did, okay? But Muhammad was not sitting there going, I'm trying to create jihad, right? That was not his point. But what happened was is that people started adding to it in order to create it. It wasn't a great religion, okay? But it started out one way and turned in to what we have is Moloch. And <clears throat> what I want you to understand is that if you're only guaranteed to go to heaven, guaranteed to go to heaven is that I can kill myself and other people for the cause, what does that do to the psyche of all the people who worship? Right now you have mothers and, and daughters and sons and fathers throughout all of that world that, that basically have this mentality of if I could kill an infidel, I would. Because I would get 72 virgins and I would go to heaven. Do you know that that is a, that, that's not even a, that's not even a, an idealism that Christianity even has. Christianity And even Judaism, God never asked, the one true God never asked for a sacrifice. He never asked to kill an infidel. So when people go, oh, they all can get to heaven. They all can get to God. No, these people that are committing this terror, they're evil. Straight up, I'm not going to apologize for it. They're out there shooting women in the head because they didn't wear something over their head. And they didn't do what they thought. They're evil. They don't get a part of heaven. Sacrifice and obedience are two different things. 
Obedience to God means that I'm going to listen to what God has to say and then I'm going to go do it. Sacrifice says I'm going to do this for God and then I want him to bless it. There is never a sacrifice that God told them to do. In fact, the only time that God actually required a sacrifice, he stopped it. See, this right here needs to be understood because we don't, everybody goes, well, we don't have Moloch. We don't have, you know, all these other things. No, we do. We live in a society full of it. And that brings me down to more of the philosophy type things that we have out there. Now, some of the sacrifice goes with some of the philosophy. But you have Buddhism that come out around the 5th century B.C. Buddha was just a philosopher. He was a rich guy. That was, that was depressed. I'm depressed. I don't want my life. I'm rich. What does that sound like, people? Sounds like every daggum person in America. I've got it too good. I've got to find a problem. And that's what happened. Was he created an idealism, a philosophy. He's no different than a... Aristotle or Plato or any of these other people. But everybody in the Asian countries, they decided to, to go around his philosophy. This is not too much different than our scientific community today. Our scientific community is philosophers. They're the philosophers of today. You go find Einstein. You go find... Uh, you know, Carl Sagan, you go find any of these people and they'll tell you what they think about the universe. Now, there's a difference between physical science that we can physically see that I've got tensile strength for steel and I've got all these other things. But what I want you to understand is, is that all of these other sciences that are trying to tell us where we came from and how we got here and, and how we're evolving every single day, I got news for you. They got it wrong. We're devolving. We're not evolving. Nothing's getting better. People back in the Bible because of the tree of life was living to 937 years of age. Most people don't live past 60. I mean, that's just the way it is. And people are saying, oh, we're evolving. I don't know what they're looking at. We've never had evolution. What we've had is we've had a de-evolution of what people think about God. Our bodies are getting worse. Our minds are getting worse. We may be able to put more stuff but on this planet, but it's a little bit like Wally. Eventually, we're just going to have robots doing everything for us. And then we're going to think that everything is great but everybody's going to be depressed. It's going to be just like Buddha. I've got to find the meaning of life because this is so meaningless. That's where our, our society is, is people will look at themselves and go, man, this is meaningless. I've got all this stuff, but it doesn't make me happy. So that's what, that's what uh, Buddha decided to do. He come up with uh, three universal truths, the four noble truths, and the noble eightfold path. Uh, Buddhist people follow, um, you know, or his followers uh, primarily are atheists. 
You'll find some Buddhist people. I, I actually had knew, known one that they believe in spirits. They kind of have this spirit, spiritualism, if you will. But they don't really believe in a God, a creator, or somebody who created the heavens and the earth. They, they look at it as a constant uh, reclaiming of what's happening in our universe. So essentially, they, everybody thought he's a good teacher, but he's not God. So if somebody ever says Buddha, uh, well, they worship Buddha. They don't really worship Buddha. Like they don't, they don't worship him like say he's God. But they really do because they put him up in every Chinese restaurant. I, I remember we used to go to Chinese restaurant and Michael England, good friend of mine, he worked with me. There was a Buddha with a microphone and it was... Yeah, it, it was like the guy would grab it out of Buddha's hands and he would go, uh, you know, Cornelius, party of, you know, 80, you know, go to your table. Well, so Michael was just like enamored by this. He thought, what, this, this Buddha thing? It was like, can I talk in the Buddha microphone? And the guy goes, <laughs> yeah, sure. So he was like, welcome Buddha shoppers, you know, and... <laughs> We've got these specials from Buddha in, you know, Mr. Wayne's. Well, the guy was perfectly fine with it. Do you know why? It's because he didn't think of Buddha as God. Now, he worshipped his philosophy. Oh, all of these, if I had, if we had made fun of one of these, the universal truths, the four noble truths, or the noble eight path, fold path, he probably would have had something to say about that. But Buddha himself would be like, yeah, make fun of Buddha. He made fun of himself. Buddha at the end of his life says, I don't even know what the meaning of life is. He goes, life is about the path of enlightenment, not about getting nirvana and enlightenment. He had no life. He tried every single thing. He created a bunch of things. To say, it's not in eating, it's not in sleeping, it's not in being fat, it's not in being skinny, it's not in being rich, and it's not being poor. He could tell you all the things it wasn't, but he couldn't tell you what was enlightened. And see, what happened was is that he had no real life. And that's what happens in, in the Asian countries. That's what happens with people who are atheists. They're constantly looking for the enlightenment. What is the meaning of life? There is no meaning of life without God. There is no meaning of life without Jesus. It's a constant sacrifice. You know that we're, you mentioned just a minute ago. So the sacrifice we have today is based upon science. Oh, I can scientifically come up with it. this is not a living creature because it's not doing this and it's not doing that. And what you'll find out is all the abortionist people, they're following a model of the philosophies of people like Buddha and Aristotle and Plato and, and all of them. They're no different. If somebody says Buddha is greater than Aristotle or Plato, no. They all wrote down their crap and people were following it. But they never got anything from it. And so that's why you have people that said, well, I had 
sex. I got pregnant and I don't want a baby. So let me go find some philosophy that gives me the ability to kill it without it hurting my conscience. But it does, ultimately. Ultimately, it does hurt your conscience. But for the moment, you feel like you're justified. See, that's the thing about philosophy is it only justifies you for the time that you're in. But then you try to find enlightenment in that. You've got Buddhist monks that live on top of mountains that sit there for years. And you go, I've reached the third level of enlightenment. What is that? Well, I just don't think about the stuff that was in the second level. <laughs> oh, oh, if I could just forget about what happened yesterday, then I'll be a whole lot better off. All of these levels, all they do is just, I, I don't think about the future now. <laughs> I think about the present. Oh, I think about that flower. I've, I've myopically gotten my life down to where I eat nothing, I, I, I sleep at no point, and I just look at flowers. Well, if you ever gave them something to do because none of them actually do anything, they're like, oh, this is too hard. And then they get back into reality. We all can't live on top of a mountain, sit in some sort of pretzel pose and, and do nothing. Somebody has to work. Or at least that's what Heather tells me. Um, so I'm going to move on to Hinduism, okay? Hinduism came around about 1500 BC. It was basically a religion that was developed by these uh, uh, Arians. And they went into India around that time. And really it was developed all the way until about 800 BC. So... So essentially, they were a bunch of hymns that was created. They, they gave this idea about chakras and about, I got this third eye, and I got you know all these different chakra-type places in the body. What they did was no different. It's a philosophy that was similar to Buddhism. If, we, if I massage you in one spot, it helps you in another place. If I, if I give you this energy, well, essentially, it's nothing more than just I'm starting to learn how to, to medically explain our bodies. Anybody ever have a massage? I've had a, like little, little bitty ones, never like the full blown. I, there's just something weird about it, so I don't know if I can like fully undress and let somebody touch me like that. But at the end of the day, I look at this and I say to myself, there are benefits to, to having certain things, you know, massage. I go to the chiropractor. I can have my back completely out of whack, and he pulls me or jams something in my back or does whatever he's doing. I don't know all the terms, but he does this, and I walk out of there just fine. Well, it was the beginning of trying to create a philosophy around medicine, around religion, and around idealisms that have to do with your life. And so what they did was they, they had the, the Shiva and they had all these different gods that they believed, gave you different things. And those things basically fit into these hymns. They, they follow them. 
But essentially, it's a philosophy. You have to go burn incense at these certain places if you want these certain things to happen. You have to go and give money to these people if you want these other things to happen in your life. It's a sacrifice and philosophy mentality. And see, what we have to understand is that that mentality was nothing more than just idealisms that came from people's head and they observed it. It's no different than Isaac Newton watching an apple fall off of a tree and saying, there's gravity. He didn't create gravity. Some people want him to. Some people would love if, if we were able to create, but we're not. We're only able to observe. So really quick, the fall of Adam, and I'm not going to be able to get through all this, uh, so I'm probably going to stop somewhere in here, but I wanted to get to some of the good parts because I, I really, I feel like that, you know, I can't just leave you with, well, here's what the religion looks like, so y'all have a great rest of your week. Um, but see, Adam did not trust. He didn't trust God. Him and Eve went off and did the thing that, that God told them not to do. But what did God turn around and do? God said, I will provide the sacrifice. The seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. He had Jesus right there. Ah, you messed up, I've got the answer. See, God had the answer. He wasn't looking for sacrifice. He was sacrificing for us. That's the gospel. See, when you miss that, you miss everything. See, God sacrificed for us. That's the gospel. God created for us. That's the gospel. But see, when we, when we bend it and we twist it into to-dos and don'ts, then what we do is we stop the true gospel from being lightened in people's minds and in their hearts and to letting that seed grow. In Romans 5.12, we see here, it says, Therefore, just as though one man sin entered in the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed. It was not put to one's account. God didn't talk about sin until Israel showed up. I mean, a lot of people want you to think that God always had these laws and he had to abide by these laws, but God didn't, didn't even talk to them about sin. There was no reason to talk to them because there was no way out. God wasn't putting it to their account. See, we have to understand that when God created us, he didn't put stipulations on us. Now, he put stipulations on Israel. He put stipulations on where we should go. But what he wanted from us is he wanted relationship. See, relationship is what he wanted from Adam. To come walk in the cool of the day after Adam had, had all this, done all this work and everything. This was what he wanted, but Adam ran from him after he ate the fruit because Adam then was able to discern, ah, oh, this is good and this is evil. 
Now I get to choose what is good and what is evil. Will went from one small piece of fruit to now I have to choose for all of my life what is good and what is evil. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though over those that had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. There was people who didn't even know about God. The world had grown and everything else. They weren't running from God. People were actually building temples. You go over to India, they actually have three temples because they said God is three in one. There, you can go look it up. You can go look up the, the triune God of the, the Indian people. They actually worshipped a God that they thought was three separate things but one thing altogether. <clears throat> and so what happened was is that people were seeking for God. I'm looking for Him. And God said, I can't give you this relationship until I've got a sacrifice for you. I have to sacrifice for you. And see, Jesus became that sacrifice. So right here it says, it says um, in Romans 5.19, just a few scriptures down, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. When people say, well, why, why did God make everybody else sinners after Adam? It's because we all had the same free will. And we all were going to choose not to love God. Because God always does this one thing. When we get in the middle of holy and righteous, man runs due to guilt. I mean, I got news for you. If I, if, you know, if I owed Charlie a lot of money and I didn't have it to pay it, you think I'm going to be sitting there going, hey, Charlie, let's be best friends. The first thing that a guilty person does, especially if I went and stole something from him, how about that? If I stole something from Charlie, I ain't hanging out with him because I know eventually he's going to figure it out, even though he might not. See, that's what guilt does, is it makes you feel like my, my guilt, my, my shame is known to everyone. Adam's guilt and shame was known. He covered himself. He said, I'm naked. God said, who told you you're naked? See, God didn't ever tell them. He was like, there's nothing for you to be ashamed of. But they decided, oh, this is, this is bad. So essentially, Moses and Israel came about around 1550 B.C., and see, Abraham chose to establish God's promises through Jesus. You can go back and read Genesis 15. He goes and tells him that, that your, your children are going to be like the sands of the sea, the stars in the sky. And what he told him was, he said, he said essentially, you're, through your bloodline, through the bloodline of Israel, there is going to be a sacrifice. So essentially, after this, Moses came onto the scene. He brought the Ten Commandments about. He asked the Israel, Israelites in Exodus 20, 19 through 20. He said, hey, I want to teach these people one-on-one. -on -one. 
I want to write the law in their hearts. And they said they rejected it. In verse 19 of Exodus 20, it says, And then Moses said, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God comes to teach you, to prove you, that his fear may be before your faces that you should not sin. God wanted to have a relationship with Israel. And Israel said, nope, you go have a relationship, write it down, we will handle it from that point on. And see, the Ten Commandments was not the law. Everybody that says, oh, the Ten Commandments is the law. No, that was not the law. The law of Moses was just like having laws here in the United States. The Levitical law was the laws for the lawyers. So it was how the priest was going to handle when somebody broke the law. So essentially what happened was just like governances of like the United States or here in Alabaster, we have laws. It's like, you know, I'm pretty sure everybody came down the street here at 15 miles an hour when you came in, right? That big hill, y'all was like creeping, like, you know, on the break the whole time it was like, oh, I'm not letting this go over 15. But see, those were laws that was established in order to keep us from doing 90 down that hill. I know Joanne was going to do 90 if she didn't have the... We didn't have the speed limit. Joanne was going to do 90. But see, that's what the law was to do, was it wasn't to keep you from breaking it. It was to keep you from constraint. It was to keep you constrained into a box. Well, if you do go over the line, which you're going to, just don't go too far over the line. And by the way, I'm going to provide ways of being able to sacrifice for you for bulls and goats and all this other stuff in order to clean your record. Not that it made God feel any better. It was to actually show that there is a price to pay for sin. And it says, it says here that, that he would teach us that they would not sin. Moses created this law for these people to abide by, especially when they had guilt. And God established the law for Israel to not sin as the rest of the world did. In order for you to be able to get to Jesus, to be able to keep people together, you had to keep Israel together. Just like the Amorites and the Hittites and all these other people, they all dispersed together eventually they became like other people god said no i gotta keep you all together and what i need to do is i need to be able to have my son come through this line so he created laws in order to be able to create the opportunity for jesus to be born everything for was done for jesus based upon israel Everybody says, oh, Israel, they were the God's chosen people. Yeah, they were chosen for a bloodline. That was it. They were to produce the Messiah. And they went through a whole lot to do that. So people are like, well, you know, wouldn't it be better to be Jewish? Well, I'm pretty sure it was better to be Jewish than it was to be like one of the other pagans. Because in your lifetime, more than likely, you were going to be, you know, 
you're going to have wars and all this other stuff. For the most part, other than like 200 years of like a whole, I mean, you're talking about 1550. So out of 1500 years, they had less than 200 years of war. I'm being serious. Go read. Out of 1,500 years, they had 200 years of war. The rest of it was peace. The rest of it was, was these idealisms that were put in place that God kept them together as a nation. Even when you had people that were coming in, the, just like the Maccabees, they went to Rome and said, hey, come, come down here and help us. We will sign ourselves over. Rome didn't come conquer them. You need to go write, read the Maccabees because in the Maccabees, they went to Rome and said, hey, we're being attacked in all these different places and we can't handle it. Rome said, well, you want to sign a peace treaty with us? We'll come in and protect you. And that is what created the, the world that Jesus actually came into. It was the most peaceful part of the world that you could have. Everywhere else that wasn't Romans was constant conflict. Romans actually stabilized and created opportunities for the Messiah to be born. So when people say, oh, well, you know, Israel, they, they just didn't, you know, they had the law and they had their issues. Yeah, they had maybe two, three hundred years out of 1,500 that's pretty amazing. Was it beneficial for them to be Jewish? In every way is what Paul says. In every way. Because they, they were still bound by a law that kept them from getting too far outside the boundaries. I'm going to stop there. Next week we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to, we're going to talk about why Jesus was better. Well, I think I've already kind of said, hey, what God had before what God had in Israel was better, I think I've established that, than even what we have in our pagan cultures. That it was a constant peace that, that God was creating opportunities for them to live their life and to have good. You know, most of the prophets, I know I keep going back to this, but I feel like I need to teach on this a lot more, is that most of the prophets that we see, if you went and looked at them on a timeline, it's only about 150 years between all of them. The prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets. You have the five books of the, the Septuagint or the Torah. You know, one of them's in Hebrew, one of them's in Greek. But you, the other parts of the Bible were all written within like a 200-year period. It was not this grand you know, oh, it was written over 1,500 years. No, it was only during the bad times that most of the stuff was written. And it's because God had to create prophets in order to tell Israel, don't go sin anymore. So where there's a sacrifice, there's always something broken. Where there's a sacrifice, there was always sin to be paid for. Sacrifice is not to get God to love us. So we need to stop this idealism that the gospel is about what we do. 
but it's about what we believe. Amen? Did y'all learn something? Amen.